All right. Um, so, I, I feel like I am a little bit of a broken record, but I, uh, I'm going to, I just, it's the thing that's on my heart, and I'm going to keep saying it. Um, I, you know, every week I'm never sure what exactly to share when I'm approaching Sunday morning, and a lot of times, truth be told, uh, I feel like the Lord gives me a confirmation in my heart on what direction I should be going by talking to some of the people in the body. And I got an email from Steve Glick this week, and I was already pondering this direction. I was pondering Psalm 27. Psalm 27 was a psalm I memorized at least part of it as a young baby Christian, and I've been just chewing on it and thinking about it. Got an email from Steve, and I'm like, yes, that is exactly what I need to share. So I'm going to share with you today out of Psalm 27, Overcoming Freedom from fear uh, is the title of my message. So today we live in a, a very fearful time uh, in human history. The coronavirus, I checked as of this morning, uh, it's definitely wreaking havoc on the enti- you know, around the entire globe. 88, over 88,000 deaths in the U.S., 312,000 deaths around the world. Someone might say, well, that's a really small number when you consider that we have over 7 billion people on the planet. I agree, it's percentage-wise a small number, but it's still 312 human beings, uh, 312,000 human beings. And so that's a lot of people. Not to mention all the economic destruction. You know, uh, loss of income, companies going out of business, You know, governments around the world are just like handing out money. They're just printing money out of thin air, you know. And so for, for, on so many fronts, there is a lot of things that we could be fearful uh, of when we, when we're looking toward the future. Fear and anxiety is certainly on the rise. One of the things I've heard about too is just the whole mental health issue. And people are really, really, really struggling. And so I just trust today that God's going to use his word uh, through a frail vessel that is going to strengthen you, that's going to put some like uh, steel in your backbone, some just confidence in your heart of God's care and God's provision uh, for you and me. So before I read uh, Psalm 27, I just want to read, I just want to share the context of this. So this is a Psalm of David and uh, This is a psalm that David wrote probably before he became, he was actually enthroned as the king. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, David is anointed to someday be the king. He's anointed probably as a teenage boy, maybe in his early 20s. And then all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul dies in chapter 31. So there's a period of time there. Scholars think it's possibly seven to eight year period of time where David was actually on the run from King Saul. King Saul was jealous of him, was envious of him. He literally became demonically oppressed and, um, and, and obsessed with killing David. And so he's literally, this is the king of Israel, he's got all the army, he's got all the resources, he's got everything, he's got people spread out all over his kingdom that are, that are trying to help him, 
look for this young, in his mind, rebel named David. Although David had done nothing wrong to King Saul. Matter of fact, just the opposite. He had done tremendous amount of good to King Saul. But in this seven or eight year period, Saul is seeking to destroy David. He's seeking to kill him. And actually, truth be told, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. It, it kind of reads like, you know, 1 Samuel reads like Lord of the Rings and a Braveheart movie, all wrapped into one. It's, it's just, it's really awesome. It's full of suspense, intrigue, murder, revenge, acts of great loyalty, acts of treason, you have heroes, you have villains. Seriously, I I, want to commend this portion of Scripture to you. It's really, really rich reading. It's really enjoyable. If you have some uh, young men in your house, they would love reading this portion of the Bible, 1 Samuel. But this is the context where Psalm 27 comes. David was probably on the run from King Saul for his very life. Let's read the first six verses as we get started here. So, chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Lord, we thank you, Father. Thank you for uh, the scripture. Thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that this was penned by, by David, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so we can read it today and learn a lot about uh, your provision, your protection, how to tap into and kind of hide ourselves uh, in a sense under the shadow of your wing. And Lord, we just thank you for that. I pray, Lord, you would help our hearts to be full of courage, full of, of confidence as we look forward. Not because we know everything that's going to happen. Not because even that we won't go through some hard times. But God, thank you for those of us that have trusted in you. Those of us that have yielded our lives to you. God, we can have real confidence that it's all going to be okay because we belong to you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just talk about this scripture a little bit. So first and foremost, verses 1 through 3, David makes this incredible declaration of who God is to him. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Let's just stop there for a second. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, 
this is a really important thing that we as Christians need to do. We need to learn to declare who God is, who he says he is, and who he is to us. David says that. He says, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. Notice he doesn't say the Lord gives me light and gives me salvation. The Lord himself, in a very personal way, is our light. You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He doesn't just give us light, light being that which, you know, we need uh, light to be able to see. Our eyes don't work without light. Before uh, we come to Christ, when we are in a life of sin, the Bible describes us as in total darkness. And it's only through the gospel that do the lights come on, so to speak. We understand who God is. We understand his way of salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Then the next question, basically, it's kind of rhetorical. Whom shall I fear? If God is my light and he's my salvation, in essence, I don't need to be afraid of anything or anybody. The Lord is my stronghold. The New King James says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So this starts with an incredible place of declaration and just confidence. Um, and uh, notice it says, when, able, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So David was confident as, as people were... Li- now this is not a metaphor. When he's talking about evildoers literally trying to eat up his flesh. Verse 3 talks about an army encamped against him. This isn't a metaphor. This is real. Saul was trying to kill him. There were real soldiers trying to kill him. And it says, though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. There are real arrows and real spears flying through the air trying to kill David. It's not a metaphor. Yet, I am just blown away at the sense of just confidence expectation he is just so at peace he is not fearful he is at rest he is courageous i love this it's inspiring to me um though evildoers are trying to eat up my flesh it is they who will stumble and fall verse two though an army encamps against me my heart shall not fear Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So David starts this psalm with this declaration of who God is. And uh, it's really, really important. I'll talk more about making biblical declarations of who God is maybe later on in in my sharing here. Uh, As we go on through the the psalm, verse 4 says this, One thing... Have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. Okay, so this statement, on one level, it inspires me. On another level, uh, there's a little bit of a rebuke in my own soul, a little bit of a chastening in my soul. The psalmist basically, he boils down his life to one desire. One thing and one thing only. And that is he wanted to be completely in awe of God. He wanted to be complete. He wanted to be enveloped 
in God's presence, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I, you know, I, I have visited there. <laughs> Hopefully you have too. I don't live there enough though. I have a lot. If I was to say, what are the things that I desire? Um, I might not always, truth be told, say I desire more than anything else 24-7, seven days a week, you know, uh, 52 weeks out of the year. I desire God and Him alone. I'm inspired by that, but I'm also greatly challenged by it. I've visited there. <laughs> I've been there, but I don't live there often enough. I love that, though. It's super, super inspiring. And what happens when we're in God's presence? Uh, it says at the end of that, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Two things happen when we're in God's presence. We gaze upon who He is. May our hearts be enraptured by God. May our hearts be enraptured by the person of Jesus Christ. You know, if we're bored with Christianity, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. And I, I would I would I would propose that we, you know, we're we're not we're not sitting at his feet and listening to his word like Martha and Mary. This this uh, scripture actually does remind me of Martha and Mary. You, you probably recognize that story or may be familiar with it in Luke chapter 10. Jesus goes and visits, visits the house of some friends, Martha and Mary. And these two ladies are uh, their sisters, okay? And, uh, but they have two very different responses to being in Jesus' presence. The one, Martha, is super busy and super active getting ready to host Jesus. And so I can just see her, and I can relate to Martha, but she's busy, she's running around, Jesus is coming for dinner, he's bringing his 12 friends, his disciples with him, and so she is kind of a fluster. She's running all over the place, the house is a mess, the meal has to be cooked, all kinds of things have to be done because Jesus is coming. And so she's all worked up, she's trying to serve him, but she's all flustered, there's no peace in her life. She's actually complaining about her sister not helping enough. I can relate to Martha in many ways. Mary, on the other hand, is sitting, the scripture says, is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his words. I love that. What a, what a great phrase that should describe all of our devotional life, sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words. And so here's what Jesus said to, uh, actually I should read it so I don't misquote it. I'll just read it, it's like three or four verses. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had her sister called Mary, sat at, and who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. One thing. Don't you wish you could just boil down your life to just needing to do one thing? That's in essence what Jesus is commanding Mary. She had done that. She, Martha, you got way too many irons in the fire. Now, let me just say this. Jesus isn't against work. He's not against industry. <laughs> He's not against you know, getting it done when work needs to get done. The problem is that she was distracted with all these other things. And she really didn't realize the best way to honor Jesus was to sit at his feet and listen to his words, converse with him, listen to him, talk to him. Mary had chosen the better part. Jesus said it will not be taken from her. So this psalm, back to Psalm 27, the psalmist is like, there's one thing, Lord, I desire. One thing will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. This is an incredibly important aspect of living above the fears and anxieties of life. We must learn to quiet our heart and sit at Jesus' feet and hear his words. Absolutely imperative to do that. Third thing that happens here in the early part of this psalm is just, again, is a couple verses that just describe David's confidence. Verse 5 and 6, He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And you know, that's exactly what God did for David when he was running from Saul. There were times when Saul, you know, you, you read some of, the, some of the story, like Saul and his armies on one side uh, of, the, of the mountain. There's a little hill here. They're on one side. David and his men are on the other side of the mountain. And it re, it's great reading, actually. There's another time David's literally hiding inside of a cave. And Saul goes to basically use the bathroom. And Saul isn't aware that David and his men are in the back of the cave. And so God was protecting David over and over and over and over. Verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So bottom line is the first six verses of this psalm just are full of just victory and confidence. And the psalmist David, his heart is at rest. He's at peace. He's focused on God. He's fearless. And he's bold, okay? Verse 7, the psalm takes a change. So much so that some scholars actually thought that this was two different psalms. The tone changes so drastically. They thought it was like two different psalms that somebody had pasted together. Uh, Listen to how it changes here. Verse 7. Remember, Confident, bold, fearless. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Okay, verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Verse 9. Hide not your face from me. 
Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Notice, he's not nearly as confident. He's not nearly as bold and fearless in the second part of the psalm. Verse 12 says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out in violence. So, um, why, again, some scholars thought it's completely two different psalms. Why do I not think it's two different psalms? Here's why. Because I think it actually does a great job of describing our true condition. Meaning, I some days live in verse 1 through 6. <laughs> I'm like, hey, come on, bring it on. Where's the devil? Where is he? I'm ready for a fight. I'm confident God's for me. He's not against me. Greater is he who lives in me than he who's in the world. Since God be for me, who can be against me? I mean, I'm just, I'm just feeling it. You know what I mean? I feel confident God is for me. I'm at, I'm at rest. I'm at peace. I'm not fearful. I'm not anxious. Great. That was yesterday. Today's another day. And the psalm, the fact that it changes its tone so drastically, like I said, it reflects really humanity. Just because I had victory yesterday, just because I was feeling on top of it yesterday, doesn't mean today I won't be tempted to be anxious, to be fearful, to be drawing back and not have confidence. Look what God's answer, though, okay? Look what God's answer in verse 8. I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, verse 8. He says, you have said, quote, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. See, God's answer for our anxieties isn't just a formula, It's not just a, hey, just say these positive uh, affirmations. (laughs) And if you say them over and over and over enough, eventually you'll talk yourself into being courageous and fearless. No, the answer God gives us is relationship with himself. God says, seek my face. I love that. God is inviting us to seek him. Seek my face, not just seek my hand, not just seek my protection, not just seek my shield, not just seek my covering wings, seek my face. Seeking the face of God speaks of intimacy and relationship. Seek my face. And then the psalmist answers back in his heart, your face, Lord, do I seek. I believe I don't know everything that's happening in this season of coronavirus and global pandemic and social distancing and all of this. I don't know everything that what God is doing and what's happening. I do know this. I think this verse, for me, sums up a lot of what's happening. God is saying, seek my face. It is a time to be drawing near to God. It is a time to be drawing near to Him. Seek my face. Seek my face. You know, as a Christian, I have an assurance 
that not because of anything that I have done, but because of his grace and his mercy, he has saved me. And I, am, I have eternal life. I'm not going to in the future. I have eternal life now. Again, that my assurance is not based on me and my performance. It's based on Jesus and his finished work. So I can be at rest and I can have peace with God. That said, that doesn't mean, you know, we're done. Doesn't mean we've arrived. It means that now as a Christian, we are invited to seek God. It's really, it's a lifelong process. We should always be seeking God. We should always be pressing, no matter how much we know him, no no matter how much we know of him and know him in a personal way, either way, my friends, we are just scratching the surface. Paul said that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering uh, and, um, you know, in a very personal way and the power of his resurrection. So the Lord is saying, seek my face. Now, when we seek the face of God, there's two things that I see in these uh, next few verses that happen. Number one, when people forsake us, we can have an assurance that God will not forsake us. Look at it says in verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take care of me. You know, there are times in the Christian life you might feel like uh, you're going it alone. You might feel like, man, I just I used to be so close to people, but now, for whatever reason, uh, they're not with me anymore like they once were. But the psalmist had this confidence that God, even even if my mother and father forsook me, now it doesn't. I don't think David's mom and dad necessarily did forsake him. He's basically saying hypothetically, if they even if they did, God, you would never forsake me. You know, it just reminded me of uh, in the uh, letter to Timothy, Paul's second letter. He at the end of his life, Paul felt forsaken from a, a lot of his friends. I'll read a few verses here. It says, uh, Do your best to come to me, 2 Timothy 4. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to, to Tumalta. Luke alone is with me. Verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So Paul, at the end of his life, whether he actually was forsaken by his friends or just his feeling forsaken, I, I don't know, but he says nobody stood with him. But verse 17 says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. So a beautiful thing about seeking God's face is we can know His, He will not forsake us. That was the confidence that David had. The second thing is happens when we're seeking God's face That's basically how we're learning his ways. Look what it says later on in the psalm here. Again, this is is David praying. 
Verse 7 on is he's praying. Hear, O Lord, when I cry. He's praying this. And he's, verse 11, he says, Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So, um, as a Christian, again, the idea is we have not arrived. We are still learning. We are still growing. I want to encourage you to be a lifelong learner. Always be pressing in to know God more, to know His ways more. And this was, this was the heart and this was the prayer of David. A disciple, by, very, by its very definition, is someone who is a learner. Okay, None of us know everything about God we are all just scratching the surface. May we be those. May this, may this prayer be ours. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. So last thing is the psalm kind of it starts at a real high note of confidence. Then it goes through this kind of lament. And, but then it ends on a high note again. Look at verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It says in the, uh, the New King James, says this. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So the psalmist ends on this high note where he says, you know what? I would have lost heart. But what was the turning point for the psalmist? Was it that he was was seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living? No, he wasn't seeing anything different yet, but he believed that he would see it. See, it was faith. It was faith that was laying hold of something in the future. That's what made the difference in David's life. So for you and I, I wish I had a magic wand and could just, you know, like uh, wave it over our lives and boom, all, of our, all the circumstances would be perfect and nice and beautiful. That's not the world in which we live in, my friends. We live in a world with trials, with difficulties, with dangers. Uh, once the coronavirus goes away and we're, quote, back to normal life, guess what? There's going to be five other things around the corner. Trust me, there will be. We're not, living in this world, we will never, this is not heaven on earth. The only sense of a haven, a safe place, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that we can run to and rest in and trust in and be able to look life dead in the eye and and have a sense of confidence and peace and be fearless and courageous. Okay? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then it ends with this exhortation. It says, wait for the Lord. And I say to you, right now, within the sound of my voice, wait for the Lord. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Wait for Him. Be strong and let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. I love Isaiah chapter 40. And he could have, he could have just ended with this. I, I don't think I, Isaiah was written yet when David wrote this psalm. Isaiah 40 says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, 
nor grow weary. His understanding, understanding is unsearchable. Aren't you glad there's somebody that's not faint, that's not tired, that's not confused, that knows everything about everything that could be known, and that, that's our God. Verse 29, He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is an amazing promise. My friends, as we seek Him, as we trust Him, as we focus, as like the psalmist said, there's only one thing I desire, Lord. That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in His temple. May we focus our hearts on Jesus Christ. And uh, so critically important. And this psalm is such a great psalm. Let me, let me end by sharing a, a concluding thought or two. Okay, Concluding thought. Number one, fear is not the normal portion for the child of God, okay? Now, I'm not saying that I've been fearful at times, okay? There's been nights I have not, I've been restless at night. I haven't slept soundly. Why? Because I've been thinking and I've been worrying, okay? So I'm not saying, I'm not preaching down at anybody. Um, but I will say this, if our heart is anxious and we're fearful, that means there's a problem. It means there's a problem. So, like, just like with pain in your body, you know, if you stick your finger in the outlet socket uh, and all of a sudden it hurts, well, guess what? That pain is shouting at you, Mike, get your finger out of the socket. That's not good for you. <laughs> you know, that pain is getting my attention. It means something's wrong. So in the heart of a believer, if we're anxious and we're fearful, then it means there's something wrong. It means something is askew and something needs to be adjusted. Yeah, but Mike, someone might say, but wasn't even Jesus fearful? Wasn't Jesus scared in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, doesn't the Scripture say that he was so in agony because he knew he was going to the cross to die, that he was fearful. He was anxious. Um, he was praying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Well, here's what I would say to that. I believe Jesus knew what was coming, and he was going to experience suffering and pain and torture to a degree that you and I could never experience. Why is that? Because Scripture says that Jesus was becoming sin for us. All of your sin and my sin, Jesus took upon Himself. He took the punishment that we deserve. So yeah, I guess you could say He was anxious. Uh, understandably so. Uh, but He became sin for us 
so that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He was forsaken. One of the things he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that God could now say to you and I, my son, my daughter, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He was punished so that you and I could be forgiven and adopted as sons and daughters. So yet, if Jesus was anxious, he was anxious because he was about ready to experience something that you and I will never have to experience on our own again because he experienced it for us. That's for those that have put their faith and their trust in Christ. Second thing is I want to encourage you to learn to make like declarations, scriptural declarations about who God is in your life and about who you are now as God's child. That's an important part. You know, sometimes I think we, we think we have outgrown some of that. I, I think it's critically important. And I, uh, you know, Scripture is full of, I, I, I had a, just a list here of some of the names of Jesus in Scripture. You know, Jesus is my Savior. He's my Redeemer. He's my Messiah. He's my Creator. He's the Beloved Son. He's, my, he's wonderful. He's, um, he's my Counselor. He's the Mighty God. See, this is what the psalmist did at the beginning of this psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so s- saying these things, reminding ourselves of who God is and then who we are, because of what he's done for us in Christ, this is critically, criti- critically important. We don't outgrow this. He's my alpha. He's my omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the lamb of God. He's the, uh, the author and the finisher of my faith. He's the bread of life. As I trust in him, I'll never be hungry. He's, he's, uh, he, he said, I'll never thirst again as I trust in him. He's my rock. He's the true vine. He's the, all of these phrases describe who Jesus is. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to just declare that to ourselves and to all the principalities and powers that will listen. Uh, critically, critically important. Again, this is not just a, a, a trick for like, you know, saying positive things and just wanting to be positive, it's critically important that we are laying hold of who God is and reminding ourselves of who he is. And because we're, we belong to him, he's the one that is going to take care of us and protect us. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen.